the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. For most of us, checking our emails, texts, and social media accounts is as much a part of our daily routine as bathing and brushing our teeth. Today, most of us communicate from behind electronic screens, and while we may believe we are connecting with others, studies show that Americans feel less connected and more divided than ever before. According to today's guest, Celeste Headley, the erosion of our conversational skills lies with us as individuals, and the only way forward is for us to start talking to each other. Celeste joins us today to offer simple tools that can improve anyone's communication. Celeste is an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and author of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here. Celeste, we think we are communicating, but sometimes when I scroll through social media or I listen to other people, I think it's a lost art. When technology is the primary means of communication, so much of our messaging is lost. We lose all of the nonverbal. So what do you believe is happening to our relationships today with the way we communicate? So there's a, uh, there's a lot in what you have just asked me. I mean, for first of all, the, I, the idea that we have that we're communicating, I think is sometimes based on the fact um, that we do expend social energy when we are, you know, sending out tweets or Facebook posts that does, you know, everyone has a limited amount of social energy each day that refreshes. And you do use it up while you're on social media. The thing is, is that you're not getting back all that great biofeedback that replenishes your stores, that actually lifts your mood and makes you feel better. So after a day spent on social media, even though you haven't really been making an authentic human connection, you will feel tired socially. You will feel like you don't have any more energy to talk with a friend on the phone, for example. But you're correct that we are losing that authentic human connection that we actually need as human beings in order to remain healthy. And again, this is this, we have to get back to the fact that we are biological creatures, right? We simply have not evolved quickly enough to, to have the same kind of reaction uh, when we get a message by text as we do when we hear a human voice, whether that's in person or over the phone. It's it, we just, I mean, we know what the brain looks like. We know what the body does when you respond to a phone call as opposed to a text or a Slack message, and they're simply not the same. When you get a text or you see something that someone has written on social media, you know, I'm amazed at the way people speak to one another through these mechanisms. You know, when when you have to look at someone in the face and say something that might be not very kind and you watch the tears well up and you see the pain, I just think it breeds a a different way that you are connecting with another as opposed to just typing X amount of words and hitting send. You are absolutely correct. This is why, you know, everybody wants to send their apologies by email or text. And yet the, the reason that we do it is because it's easier. But unfortunately, that ease and that comfort robs it of its significance. And I'll explain. When you've done someone a a harm, um, moving from I'm angry at you all the way through 
uh, I forgive you, and then being able to move on from that damage is a relatively co- uh, complicated cognitive and emotional process. And we can watch it happen in, in somebody's brain and in their physiology. So scientists have actually been able to test, test this, right? They can test um, the effect of an apology when you read it in any form, text, email, whatever, and they can uh, observe the effect of an apology when somebody goes to you either on the phone or in person and says, I'm really sorry. I mean, the reason that we do it over, over email is because it's really hard to face someone or get them on the phone and say, I'm sorry, you're afraid that they're going to be mad at you, you're going to be afraid about what they're going to say to you, um, and so we avoid that. However, that difficulty is what actually ends up making that apology worthwhile. When you are struggling for words, uh, when they can see your face, exactly as you've described, when they see you struggling, it it lights up the compassion center of their brain. I'm I'm being simplistic here, but um, it lights up the part of their brain that's involved with empathy and compassion. And that begins that process that can ultimately lead to forgiveness and then being able to move on. Without that, you've wasted your time sending that apology by email. It's had no effect. And the same is true, just as you imply, for pretty much any communication that involves um, real emotion. It's just not the same impact when you're not getting that that response, when you're not seeing someone's face, when you don't hear the, the hesitation in their voice. Um, perhaps you don't hear fear, you don't hear uh, insecurity or anything like that. It, it removes all of that biofeedback that we spent 300,000 years evolving to pick up on. Um, you know, it's, at one point I asked the scientists if at some point written communication would, would at least equal verbal communication in terms of effectiveness. And she said it's possible in five to 10,000 years. So if we are conducting most of our communication in a way that diminishes compassion and empathy, what is happening to us as human beings? And, and what will happen to our children if this is all they know? That's <laughs> a really great question. I, I'll say a couple things, which is that we do have some clinical research that seems to indicate that empathy has fallen and has fallen by a lot in recent decades. Um, so that's number one. And I, I almost feel like that's a no-duh study, right? Like, if I say to you, hey, clinical research has proven that people aren't as empathetic as they used to be, I feel like everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, we can feel that change. We can feel this, I guess, this every every man for himself, every person for themselves, right? Um, which is our loss of our connection, which is horrible. I don't know what it means. And, and it's bothersome to me because I don't think people realize that empathy is not uh, a soft skill. Empathy is not something that they teach you on Sesame Street and then you, you, you dump it as you become an adult. For our species, our species has never been able to survive and thrive alone, ever. That's not how we work. We have always depended on community in order to survive. And so empathy and compassion, those things that build strong communities and strong relationships, that has meant the difference between survival and death for our species. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm being alarmist, but this is just the truth. And so what does it mean when we, when we start losing the, this, this one thing that has meant the difference between life and death for our species, I mean, it's not good. I mean, keep in mind that belonging is the number one need for a homo sapiens after food, water, and shelter have been uh, taken care of. Well, and you know, Celeste, we're talking about communication, but if you really think about this, and I'm not a mental health expert, but you were talking about a no-duh moment, and, and I'm sure there are a number of factors that play into this, but when you lose the connection with another person because you're communicating in such a detached way and you're losing the empathy skill that you say we have to learn, we're not taught that, it's just something that comes from life experience. When you lose those things, it's really not a far stretch to see what's happening in society with shootings yeah. and just not caring about other human beings. You're absolutely correct. I mean, I almost have nothing to say to that. Yes. Amen. Um, it's, 
it's not surprising at all to me, especially in the United States, to see how polarized how we have become and how easy it is for us to otherize people. Um, otherize means I see them as slightly less than human because they're not part of my tribe. It, it, that's one of the things that human beings do for themselves in order to justify hating or possibly doing something awful to another human being is because you uh, classify them as not part of your group. Um, and then it makes it possible to do, the, to do damage to them. Um, so, yeah, what's happening around us makes perfect sense to me. And I think also, you know, it's, it's very easy to stand on principle. It's very easy to say, well, I don't talk to this kind of person for these reasons. And I'm not saying that's ever wrong. You know, it's kind of like whatever your excuse is for not going to the gym that day. It's probably reasonable. But also, if you keep not going to the gym, it's going to ruin your health. And for us, if we keep not talking, finding a reason to not talk to other people, it's going to have deleterious effects. It's going to hurt us in the end. And, and we are going to separate, really separate into tribes. And that, that can only mean emotional violence and, and possibly eventually physical violence, but it's not good. Okay, so we've talked about some of the problems. Let's give our listeners some hope. How do we turn this around? How do we become effective communicators and solve some of the problems? See, this is a beautiful thing. It's so simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's so simple to fix this. Because again, we've evolved for 300,000 years to do exactly what it is that we need to do. And there's really great support for the fact that, that, that even the small interactions that you have with people, even if you need to stay six feet away, um, waving to your neighbor gives you a, a mood boost. Smiling at someone on the street increases your sense of belonging and, again, boosts your mood, lowers your heart rate, lowers your stress levels. Asking when you go in to get coffee, asking the barista about the weather or how they're doing, even those small, short conversations can have a big impact on your mood and your and your sense of community and belonging so that's number one but also start checking in on the people in your life right I bet right now both you and I could think of either family members or friends that we haven't talked to in a really long time like make a list of the people that you feel like you should at least check in with every few months and when you are sitting down and thinking, oh, I have 20 minutes, call them up. Don't shoot them an email. Don't shoot them a text. Just call them up and say, hey, I was thinking about you. Just wanted to check in. And even if you leave a voicemail, which I know a lot of people don't like, let them hear your voice. Um, so those are a couple things you could do immediately. But the, the last thing I would say is that in order for a conversation to be significant to you and your body and your health, it doesn't have to be deep. Small talk is very, very healthy. And you don't have to get into some kind of in-depth, long-term conversation in order to make it worthwhile. Um, you can have a 10-minute conversation about sports, about the book you've been reading. Um, and that can increase your relationship, that can strengthen your relationship with a friend or neighbor or coworker, and also give you all of those um, emotional and uh, cognitive and physiological benefits that are really good. They're going to strengthen your immune system. I mean, who doesn't want their immune system to be stronger right now? When you're in a relationship with someone and to become a more effective communicator, I know I often hear people say things like, well, he should have just known how I was feeling or she should have known. Mm -hmm. People don't know. So how important is it for us to be effective in those settings? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about this this um, illusion of intimacy, <laughs> which is a real thing. We tend to assume that the people closest to us know us better than they, they do, actually. Um, so, yeah, they don't know. <laughs> you have to tell people. And, you know, one of the things I do by family last me every year because I give people tons of notice about my birthday <laughs> because I care. I care if people forget my birthday and I'm not going to you know, get mad at them if I didn't remind them. So I just make sure I tell them. I don't, I don't wait and turn it into a test to see if they remember. I just warn them way in advance. Um, but I would also say that the, the most powerful thing that you can do to increase your communication skills 
it does have nothing to do with talking. It's all about listening. Most of us are good talkers. So I'll give you a couple statistics here. More than four out of five people say that a past relationship has failed because of poor communication. And fewer than one in five think it was their fault. So it's a good, it's a good bet that in at least some of these conversations or relationships where there's been poor communication, it has been partly your fault. So that usually means you're not listening as well as you could be. If you walk away from a conversation and all you're thinking about is, oh, I should have said this, and oh, I should have said that, and oh, I said that wrong, and you're not thinking at all about what you heard, that's an indicator that you're not listening, listening well. If you're going into conversations and all you're thinking about and worrying about is what you're going to say and not about what you need to learn from the other person, it's another indicator that your listening skills need to be polished up. I mean, it's the number one most powerful thing that you can do to actually change your communication skills. Well, if you look at today's world, Celeste, it just seems like everyone is just talking at each other and no one's listening. And, you know, I I put up a a great post the other day that said uh, a mind is a terrible thing to waste that, you know, if you listen, you may actually learn something. And that Mm -hmm. is, I think, if there's one thing that we all have to start doing better, and that's listening to one another. Yeah, I mean, in my original TED Talk, man, like seven years ago, (laughs) um, I quote Bill Nye, who told a graduating class that everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. Um, And that's a really great energy to go into every conversation with. I wonder what it is this person knows. You know, what if I came away from every conversation I had just a tiny bit smarter? (laughs) Rather than, I mean, you already know everything you're going to say. You already know it, like by definition. So you're not going to learn anything from what you say. The only way that you will learn is by listening to somebody else. Um, and that's sort of the, I don't know, it just feels like, I mean, you must get this all the time when you tell people what you do and they say, oh, I've always wanted to host a podcast <laughs> or be on the radio. I mean, I hear this all the time. And I think to myself, God, we've got an entire world full of people who think they're talk show hosts. Right. Like everybody. <laughs> thinks that. But what they don't realize is that to be a really great interviewer, it's your listening skills that have to be strong. That's the hard part is really listening to what people say. And do you have a strategy that can help someone be a better listener? I mean, there's a a lot of them. And it turns out that um, we do not improve our listening skills unless we're focusing specifically on improving our listening skills, right? Like a lot of schools don't teach listening, even though they'll teach public speaking, because they assume you'll learn listening in math class and in history, but it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. You have to be consciously working on them. So here's a couple things that you can do. Um, First, the most important thing is to let go of your thoughts. The thoughts that are going through your mind are always going through your mind. They're not precious. They're not magic. You don't need to hold on to whatever that random thought is um, until they stop speaking so you can articulate it, right? We spend a lot of time not listening so that we can hold on some thought that came into our minds or some memory or some story. So that's the very first thing is to learn to let go of that stuff. The thoughts will come into your mind, and you have to discipline yourself to learn to let them go. Um, The next thing is... Discipline yourself to listen all the way to the end of what someone's saying. So if you make it a practice to respond to the very last thing that someone said, um, it will force you to listen all the way to the end, as opposed to hearing the first 10 seconds, deciding what we want to say in response, and then hearing nothing else. And the third thing I would say is that start listening for the meaning of what someone's saying. None of us are perfect in how well we articulate our thoughts or our ideas. And so assume that somebody is telling you something for a reason, that it's important to them for a reason, and start trying to listen to that, um, that deeper underlying message. They're talking to you about, I don't know, what they cooked the other night. Why? Like, what's going on there? Why is this important to tell you? Why are they telling you this? And start listening for them and asking questions about that, that underlying meaning, instead of getting wrapped up in the way they say things or the words they use. 
Celeste, that's such great advice. And if our listeners would like to learn more, you can get a copy of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. And you can visit CelesteHeadley.com. That's H-E-A-D-L-E-E, CelesteHeadley.com. Celeste, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Um, The takeaway is that you're missing out on a lot. You have been missing out on a lot by A, not engaging people in real conversations and then not listening to what they're telling you. So if you have a fear of missing out, if you suffer from FOMO, put the phone down and actually talk to another person because you have no idea how much you've missed. Celeste, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalize actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. She is here today to talk about the seven levels of energy leadership model. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. So nice to be here. Thank you. Lisa, our energy levels are evident in our presence and how we show up in the world. Explain to us what this leadership model is and why it's so important. Sure. So leadership in this case, it kind of applies to all of us. Uh, More and more in the business model, uh, coworkers are becoming more leaders in their jobs to help move things forward and are looked to to think in bigger ways and bigger pictures. Much of what we're talking about is how do we interact with each other and how do we go into a situation and read a room or read the person that we're working with? So what I wanted to share is a new concept called the seven levels of energy. First of all, I just want listeners to understand it's not a hierarchy. It's not one is the bottom and seven is the top. It's something we bounce through throughout the day. And what's important is to just understand where you are at a given time and also to maybe see where the person that you're working with is as well. What are the seven levels of energy? So the first level would be victimization. It's the lowest of the vibrational energies and the heaviest. The second would be conflict. So the other piece that's important to understand when talking about energy is the first two levels are what are called catabolic energy or heavy, destructive or draining energies. So the top seven from three to seven would be considered anabolic or lifting building, constructing energies. So level three then would be more about tolerance, you know, making things you know, good enough or finding a silver lining, where level four is then about doing for others. Level five is the win-win scenario. Level six is then considered when you're in flow, when you're just doing things effortlessly and it is just pleasure. And level seven is touching the divine, when you understand that you are part of one and creation and co-creating in a way that, you know, everything is just part of one thing and there is no judgment. So that's another way we can also explain the levels. It's all levels of judgment. Victimization being the heaviest level of judgment. As you go up the levels, you're letting go of judgment. You're understanding that control is not important, that we really control nothing. Lisa, does paying attention to the seven levels, does this help us avoid becoming a victim? Well, I think the hardest thing in the world is to see ourselves as a victim. 
right? Because that nobody wants to say I'm, I'm a victim. But the truth is we all feel victimized at some point. And then victimization can be like stubbing your toe against the, a door and saying, you know, oh my gosh, why did that just happen to me? And then that's what I mean about bouncing through the day. For instance, I'm pretty much always at level two around technology because it frustrates me pretty much all the time. So I'm always in conflict. I don't want to have to deal with it. It's you know, I'm of the older age that it wasn't always the way. And so I joke that I was dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And I know a lot of us feel that way around technology if you're in your, you know, over 55. The best thing we can do about being a victim, victim is to just identify that life isn't happening to us. Life is actually happening for us. So these experiences we're having are actually opportunities to learn. And that's the number one way to shift out of a victim mode. So when you stub your toe, it's hard to say, like, why did that happen for me? But the other way you could say is maybe it prevented you from falling down the stairs. So there's always another way to look at things where it could be worse or a shift of perspective where it puts things more in a balanced place. I had a conversation recently with someone who lost his seven-year-old child to brain cancer. And he said to me, he could have gone down the rabbit hole of saying, why was this child taken so young? Why did I only have seven years with her? But instead, he chose to look at it as seeing it. There are parents who have a day or a week or anything less than seven years. And he said, when you switch that perspective, seven years begins to feel like an eternity. And so I think that, you know, that's an extreme case of being able to see the different side. But what a wonderful outlook that is to have in life. It absolutely is. And and speaking of the levels, he's kind of at level seven. He's touching the divine. He's seeing the grace in his experience, which, again, most people, most of us sit, sit here thinking we can think our way through it. When so much of this is intuitive, we've just never been trained to use it or to really understand or, or just identify that that gut instinct we have is actually driving us. You know, when your gut says don't do it, don't do it. And if you've ever gone against it, we all have had the experience of we should have listened to our gut. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Lisa and her work, or if you'd like to work with Lisa, you can visit her website, lisaluckett.com. And as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. Critical thinking is a disciplined way of thinking that can be applied to any topic or problem. It is the ability to clearly and logically consider information that is presented to us. There is value in thinking critically in every aspect of our lives, from making personal decisions to questioning media reports to assessing work projects. Applying critical thinking is an essential skill everyone should be trying to hone. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my Ph.D. in life. The conventional view serves to protect us from the painful job of thinking. When we were children, adults told us how to behave and what we should believe, and we blindly followed their instruction. Then as we aged, we were taught to expand our minds and consider concepts and opinions that may be in conflict with what we previously thought. This expansion of mind opened the door to infinite possibilities and challenged us in ways never experienced before. Listening to different ideas enabled us to develop the process of analyzing information in order to form our own judgment. We learned to discern what works best for us and no longer were we dependent on what we were told to do. We could form our own opinion. This critical thought process taught us how to create the conscious decisions that affect the quality of our lives. Today, in a world of social media, around-the-clock news programs, and propaganda reporting, cultivating a critical thought process is more challenging than ever before. Sometimes it feels like we've lost the ability to think for ourselves or form our own conclusions. I often wonder if critical thinking is a lost art. With information overload, we need to think about thinking. Why is this so important? Critical thinking encourages curiosity. Curiosity helps us remain vigilant and gain knowledge about situations or our environment. Critical thinking enhances creativity. Creativity enables us to come up with different ideas and perspectives. Critical thinking reinforces problem-solving skills. Critical thinking develops independent thinking, the ability to take in various opinions or facts and then develop our own conclusion offers a freedom from manipulation. The good news is that critical thinking is a learned skill and we can get better at it. Here are three ways to develop critical thinking. Question assumptions. Don't believe everything at face value. Ask questions, conduct research. You don't always know what you think you know. Reason through logic. 
Ask yourself, is the argument supported at every point by evidence? Do all the pieces of evidence build on each other to produce a sound conclusion? Diversify thought. Get outside of your personal bubble and open your mind to new perspectives. As the Greek philosopher Aristotle said, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Never stop questioning or thinking. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and information, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Many people today are on overload. We're overworked, stressed out, and on edge. According to today's guest, Tara Stiles, the way we live our lives keeps us out of touch with what our bodies and our brains really need. Tara joins us today to offer guidance for improved mental and physical self care. Tara is a global yoga, movement, and wellness expert. Her new book is Clean Mind, Clean Body, A 28-Day Plan for Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Self-Care. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a nice conversation with you. So, Tara, many people today are on overload. We are a society that is stressed out. Why do you believe so many people are on edge? Oh, my goodness. Well, it could be any reason that really anybody can can grab onto. I think there's more reasons than ever now to feel that on edge feeling for sure. So whether it's overload from social media or pressure from life or family pressures or the kind of compounded effect of three years of being in a pandemic, you know, wherever you look, there's a stress waiting to cling on to you for sure. You know, We've been hearing so much, you mentioned the pandemic, we've been hearing so much about the importance of boosting our immune health. And I know that, you know, during this period, I've really been trying to tune in more to my body and my mind. And so many people are really out of touch with what their body tells them. Do you have any thoughts on that? Why do you think we're so out of touch with ourselves? I think just it's so easy to get stuck in the the habits of life, you know, everybody's so busy, everybody is striving to improve themselves and their lives and their families and really whatever our kind of goals are for life. But it's so easy to not include your well-being in that goal of, of your entire life. So especially with so much being online and so much being this forward momentum that we all really feel in the last even five, 10 years of, of life being accelerated by, by everything being online as well. I think it's just so easy to, to kind of live in your mind and, and live in this ambitiousness of your life and forget that you're actually the one living your life and you need to be included in that as well. So you have a new book out now that's entitled Clean Mind, Clean Body, A 28-Day Plan for Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Self-Care. What does having a clean mind have to do with having a clean body? How do the two interrelate? It's so obvious when you slow down that your mind is going a million miles a minute. And really, it's impossible for us to to tune it off for more than just a few seconds here and there. But really, this practice of getting down to the ground, connecting with yourself, having some sort of daily practice for your own well-being helps us really clean our mind in this way or feel clean, just that simple feeling of kind of getting out of the shower where you feel fresh and clean, you know, it can also feel a bit of a freshness in your mind and and really give us more of a perspective to take care of our bodies as well and realize that our mind and our body and our whole life and really everyone around us is a a little bit more connected than we, we try to give ourselves credit for or really think on a moment to moment basis. You are known for being a global yoga expert. What are some of the health benefits of a yoga practice? Oh, so many. I I love that yoga is such an easy form to get into because whatever your kind of surface level complaint, whether it's anxiety or back pain or just general stress or a physical injury, getting more strong, more flexible, whatever your kind of initial need is yoga can grab you and and get you involved and then once you get involved there's a whole plethora of benefits 
I think really the main benefit that we all need is the stress reduction and more connection to ourselves, more connection to our whole well-being, this real idea that we can slow down a little bit and we're not going to miss out on life when we slow down a little bit, we pay attention and notice how we feel, then of course we're so much more well-equipped to, to make the simple decision to take better care of ourselves. We simply notice more of what's happening inside of us and our body-mind connection, and then we start to notice more of what we can actually do about it to help ourselves feel better. So for the person who right now is listening to you and is saying, I've seen people doing yoga, and there's no way I can get my body to do that. I'm lucky I can stand up from a chair. What do you say to that person about starting a yoga practice? Oh, absolutely. This is the reason why I I got involved in yoga in the first place. My friends wouldn't do it. My family wouldn't do it just because of that reason. And I had a great experience with a first yoga teacher when I was pretty young, and I didn't have this kind of physical competitive competitiveness in that and that teacher it wasn't really about putting your feet behind your head and things like that so I really started to understand that yoga is about connecting yourself connecting your breath and body together and you do what you can it's not about well if I can't lift my arm all the way over my head I just give up it's about well how, how far can you go and not in this pushing yourself kind of way but how far can you go and how much can you notice about how you feel so once you take the goal away from these kind of gymnastic looking positions that you see everybody doing online and in magazines and things like that, and just start to move yourself in a more mind, body conscious way. Everybody has this same connection of, oh my gosh, I feel connected to myself. I feel better. My mental well-being automatically feels loads better and I want to continue. And then of course your body gets stronger or more balanced or more flexible, but I think it's a real uh, shame that, you know, we all feel this pressure of being more flexible or that instantly kind of kicks a lot of people out because they have enough common sense and say, well, that doesn't look very healthy. I'm not going to put my feet behind my head. <laughs> so I'm just going to do something else for sure. Well, it's, you know, you always see the the memes about people saying, I- I'm so excited I was able to put my pants on today, you know, and especially <laughs> yeah. after the pandemic, that's what, you know, we all feel like where our, our activity level is at these days. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just so amazing with yoga that you can breathe, connect to yourself and do a little bit of movement. So you just feel better. You know, yoga has a a pretty big vocabulary of movement. So even if you're sitting on a chair, you know, you can take a big inhale, reach your arms up over your head, exhale, bring your arms back down or hug a knee into your chest. And not just the kind of physical movement, like stretching of it, but if you do the movement, soften yourself and watch your breath actually start to move your body. That's where it gets really cool. You start to feel your inhales lifting you up a little bit on the simple stretch and your exhales moving you a little bit further. And of course, that has a nice mental component as well. Is there a particular type of yoga you would recommend for a beginner? I think anything that's gentle and, you know, makes you feel comfortable. I mean, it's it's kind of like, I think this is a, a little a little bit of a fair comparison, but there's so many different types of food and restaurants. If you go to a restaurant and you don't like the food, you don't stop eating. You just go to a different restaurant. So with yoga, there's so much available now. If you try something and it doesn't resonate with you or it doesn't feel easy to do or comfortable, or even if it was a little too slow or too fast, you know, you can kind of ask around, ask your friends, you know, what do you do? What teachers do you like? What style do you like? And you know, thankfully, there's there is so much available in that regard, and you can find something that that works for you. That's always been my mission with with leading yoga is to lead yoga in a way where everybody can get something out of the same class, whatever your ability, your age, your background, your body is like. You know, if you can find a class that helps you feel like the movements that you're doing are comfortable for you, and and you're you're kind of in a, in a good place. You're not being you know, talked down to or talked up to or making yourself feel like you have to do this thing that's not comfortable, then then that's probably a good place to be. Tara, in addition to exercise and movement, you offer tips for healthy eating. What should our daily menu look like? I think this is a super fascinating one. Just over the years, reading so much about food, of course, and nutrition, but also just how simple it actually is and, and how when we don't feel good, how we don't want to eat all of the good stuff. So, I think that's how, for me at least, yoga became such a huge part of nutrition as well. 
I would see people coming into our studio or doing our classes online and they would ask me right away, you know, what should I eat? What should I eat? And, you know, not being a doctor, I'd be very hesitant to, to give them specific advice on their specific well-being. But then I would notice after a few days or a few months of, of doing some yoga in a way where they started to feel better, they would start to naturally eat more fruits and vegetables, less processed food. They would start to explore things a little bit more in, in the simplest way of eating, uh, you know, in a big variety as well. So I think it's, it's, it's pretty obvious what we should, at least what we shouldn't be eating and what we should be eating, more fruits and vegetables, less processed foods, less junk food type things, less drive-through type things. And, and really just, you know, if we can be preparing our meals at home and, and putting as, as, as many fruits and vegetables on our plate as possible, then, then that's a great start for sure. I love the title and everything that you've written about in your book because it's in such perfect alignment with what I try to do with the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brand. It's our goal to connect the dots between the mind, body, and spirit because I believe that we are some of the whole. And so I am in total agreement with everything that you write and speak about. So if someone wanted to make an impact on their health right now after listening to us, what are a few things that you recommend that they can do to get started? Something I, I really love, and I've, I've seen this and have been able to practice this with all different kinds of people, whether you're only able to sit in a chair or you have more fuller mobility, is to get down on the ground, whether that's right in your chair or if you can crawl down to the ground, even better, get yourself in a comfortable place what's actually comfortable for you, however you can sit comfortably, soften your whole self, and start to breathe really big and full and really watch your breath move your body. I think that's the coolest thing. It becomes this really neat experience for everybody who can give it a try. It's not just kind of moving your arms around and exercising, moving your legs in an isolated way. So you really start to get this whole self-harmony happening. And when you can move your body or really let your breath move your body in this way, you start to naturally move yourself a little bit side to side or forward and back move in the places where it feels useful for you. If you find a place that feels a little bit stuck, hang there for a little while, take a few big breaths and really explore your own movement in a way that feels comfortable and feels natural and let your breath move you. I think that's such a great way in to connect your whole mind, body and spirit together because you're not kind of treating your body like a problem to deal with or treating movement like an exercise that you have to do or treating food like something you need to eat or not eat. You start to get more in tune with your whole self and then all of these more healthy ideas start to become exciting and, and something that you actually want to do instead of another chore or another fix that you need to do to yourself in that way. The book is Clean Mind, Clean Body, a 28-day plan for physical, mental, and spiritual self-care. If you'd like to get more information about Tara and her work, you can visit tarastyles.com. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for everything that you're doing. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Most people devote far too little energy to developing the skill of listening. We have two ears and one mouth. Nature is clearly telling us we should listen twice as much as we talk. It's impossible to find out what someone else thinks if we're doing all the talking. Listening is a key communication and empathy skill. You can learn to be a better and more empathetic listener and elicit greater understanding from a two-way communication process by focusing on the following, taking time to listen aggressively. Most of us are passive listeners, if we listen at all. Most people spend more time waiting for their turn to speak instead of listening aggressively. Good communication, or the lack of it, affects every personal or professional relationship, and it can also enhance or derail every time of negotiation. Aggressive listening does not mean you focus only on what is being said, but also how things are communicated. How often do you carefully read the feelings and emotions of the other person communicating? Calm and quiet your mind and stop focusing on how you will reply. Instead, really go beyond the sounds and observe the body language and expressions of the sender. Put yourself in their place or position. Study the person you're communicating with and you will discover new insights that will help you better connect, relate, 
and avoid misunderstandings. To learn more, contact me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit star1professional.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. It's time for Cheer Your Health. Joining us today is Emanuela Fasoni, a certified health and life coach who has helped people experience breakthroughs in their health and lives. She is the author of the book, Healing Through Nature's Medicine, Emanuela is here today to discuss natural solutions for hormonal imbalance. Welcome, Emanuela. Thank you for joining us. And thank you so much for having me, Joan. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Emanuela, hormone replacement therapy is the usual prescription for people who are experiencing a hormonal imbalance. Why do you believe this is not always the best course of action? Well, Joan, um, traditionally doctors will try to tell you that it's okay to use hormone replacement medications. And I will personally tell you in my experience of doing bioidentical hormone uh, replacement therapy really was not the solution for me. Even though my symptoms were kind of subsiding, I really think my hormones weren't being balanced. I actually gained more weight. So it really wasn't the solution for me. So then what are some of the things that you recommend to help us balance our hormones naturally? So the solution is really to get the intestinal tract and liver to work properly as it um, as elimination channels. So the burden will be taken off of the endocrine gland and also eventually the the hormone the hormonal system will go back to balance. So lifestyle changes, for example, food habits, exercise, etc., plus whole food supplements. Uh, and also digestive system supplements and antioxidants. They're necessary to help with diet changes. I'm gonna give you some tips, and these are some superfoods as well as other steps that you can take to really balance your hormones naturally. So superfoods such as flaxseed, soy-derived products like tempeh and miso, which I would say to limit because I'm not crazy about soy, but when you're getting it from a super or actually a food source, it's different. Um, But I would definitely say to limit it. Wildcrafted blue algae, artichokes, asparagus, apples, Siberian ginseng, parsley, walnuts, raw and unsalted. um, Also wheat germ, raw and organic. These foods contain phytochemicals that help balance the hormonal system. Also, each day consume two tablespoons of ground organic uh, flax seeds and sprinkle them on soups or salads. Drink a freshly made fruit smoothie containing white craft, uh, wildcrafted microalgae, and also in a you can also mix some veggies into your smoothies. Like I love to mix my berries with a half of a zucchini, which has a lot of minerals in it, and also with my microorganic algae. And adding sprouts into your morning drinks will also give your body the most active phytoestrogens, which are really, really powerful for your body. So sprouts are the best unheated sources of phytoestrogens. Use the organic sprouts that I recommend once with breakfast and again in the mid-afternoon. Add organic and wild, um, or actually add organic and raw wheat germs into your salads. Wheat germ is abundant with vitamin E. And vitamin E is really, really effective in reducing many other hormonal imbalances, symptoms that you have. Um, Another step would be 
enzyme therapy, which is also what I used. And it was really, really amazing on how it helped me with my menopausal symptoms that I was going through. So there's a book called um, The Enzyme Cure by Dr. Letha Lee. And she says that many women benefit from taking extra enzymes on an empty stomach several times during the day, which is what I do. And I usually take them at bedtime. Also, you know, avoiding foods known to exacerbate hormonal imbalances, such as spicy foods, alcohol, caffeine, chocolate, sugar, dairy foods, and fatty meats. Also avoiding soft drinks, which contain large amounts of phosphates that contribute to osteoporosis. Emanuela, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Emanuela and her work, you can visit embodyvitality.net or as always, to hear more from Emanuela, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Emanuela. I am incredibly, incredibly proud to be a physician here at St. Jude, to be in a place where I know my patients are going to get the top-notch care, not only care, but also research happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every single person that contributes is a part of that St. Jude family that makes that happen. Because of everyone that is really committed to the mission of St. Jude, we're giving families hope. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.